It was just, you know, you get one customer and you turn it into two, 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 you turn it into four, and then you pay attention to like what those folks like and what they don't, and importantly, what they don't like and the stuff they don't like, you go fix it. And so the next batch of customers doesn't run into that same set of problems. They have a different set of problems and you listen to what they don't like, and then you go fix that. And then you just keep rinse washing or repeating. Uh, and so I think it was pretty early on where it was just like, I think if we just, I think we just got to show up every day and put in the effort. And if we put in the effort, this thing's going to work. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Wade Foster is the co-founder and CEO of Zapier an automation platform that connects over 6,000 different apps to streamline workflows. Founded in 2012, Zapier currently supports over 2.2 million businesses and automates their workflows from startups to Fortune 100 companies. Only raising initially $1.3 million in funding in 2012, Zapier has grown exponentially under Wade's leadership and was last valued at $5 billion in 2022. I started out by asking him about the influence early in his life that put him on the path towards becoming an entrepreneur. You know, I grew up in central Missouri and didn't have a lot of exposure to entrepreneurship. You know, my dad worked for the state, my mom was a pharmacist. You know, all my extended families were educators or worked in medicine and stuff like that. And so it was, I didn't grow up thinking like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to start a business. You know, that sort of sounded like something other people did, I guess. Probably the, I didn't realize it at the time, but the first taste that I really got from this was I had, uh, I'd fallen in love with playing saxophone uh, and, you know, I just really loved playing jazz and things like that. And I had a saxophone instructor in high school who had a quartet that played at the governor's mansion from time to time in Missouri. And they had a, uh, a fourth member that had to move away pretty suddenly. Uh, I think there was maybe like a health issue or something like that in the family. I'm not sure exactly what. For whatever reason, probably desperation, the, the, the best thing they could come up with was to ask this, this high school kid like, hey, can you come do a practice to see if you could maybe, you know, make it for this gig? And, you know, so I went and rehearsed with them. And again, it did well enough or again, that desperation thing. So they said, hey, let's, let's have you come play a gig. And I remember going and spending two hours playing this gig, I made 50 bucks out of the thing, which as a high school student, you're just like, this is, this is incredible. 50 bucks. I love this. And I got a free meal out of it too. And, you know, I contrast that with like that summer, I was also a, a, a lifeguard at the public swimming pool. And oh, you do an eight hour shift there, you're getting paid hourly. And uh, yeah, I think at the end of it, I took home something like 46 bucks or something like that and had to pay for popcorn. And, you know, I think sort of later reflected on that. And there's just like, there's something to this time value money thing where it's like, if you have a skill that people really care about, like you can make a lot more money doing it. And you can do something that's fun too. Like I like music a lot more than I liked working at the public swimming pool. And, you know, I think it just, it planted a seed for me that, that like any future job that was like, wasn't fun. It was like, you know, lower paid. I just was like, "Ah, this doesn't seem like the way to, the way to go. And so later on, when I got introduced to like software and startups and things like that, I was like, this is where the action is. This is a lot of fun. Like the fact that you could write a little bit of code and put it on the internet and then somebody 
you know, half a world away could find your website and hand you $20 without you ever meeting them. That, that to me was just like, this is incredible. Like this is so much different than what I sort of assumed business could, could be or would look like. And that, that's sort of how I fell in love. Yeah. Do you think in terms of talking about that, and I can see how you lit up in terms of, of, of programming and, and uh, coding and was that an interest always of yours or did that just, how'd that come about? I came about way later too. So yeah, I never, you know, I didn't, wasn't really interested in programming or anything like that, which is I think different than a lot of tech folks. Mine came more of a, out of a more pragmatic. I had joined this small startup in central Missouri and I, I got, I joined as like a marketing intern and I was working so hard to try and sell this thing. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I, I thought I would get fired. I was like, surely they're going to figure out like, I don't know what I'm doing. And they're going to say, Hey, thanks kid. Uh, but <laughs> this ain't it. <laughs> and you know, that day never came, day never came. And I just kept trying and figuring like, how can we make this thing work? And eventually I started to think, you know what? I, I don't think it actually is that the marketing is bad or the sales is bad, or, or maybe it is that, but like, I think there's actually more fundamental issues. Like I think our product is the wrong product to be building. I think we need to be working on different stuff. And I felt like if I was to be able to influence the way that the product needed to go, I needed to better understand what it took to build one. And that's where I finally started to say like, okay, I'm going to start teaching myself to code and I'm going to figure out like how to make things. And, you know, I'll be honest, like I never got particularly great at it, but I learned the basics enough to figure out like what I could do there. And so that's where that interest came from was like, I, I want to build things that people want. Um, it wasn't from some sort of like academic interest in like programming for programming sake. It's like, I just want to make an impact. Yeah. Where do you think, I mean, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of people who might have the same thought and they might just quit, you know, on the job or, or, or they might not have that curiosity, but there has to be something inside of you. And I'm not sure if you know, or, or what you think it might be that, that drives you, because it seems like you were driven to figure this out. You were driven to do these other things, to create Zapier. Like, so what is it psychologically or, or deep down, do you think, or that might cause that drive or, or, or create that drive? I mean, I've always been competitive. That's for sure. I, I don't like, I don't like doing things that don't matter. Like at the end of the day, it's like, I want to, you know, I want to work on things that have an impact and make something that are important. And so, you know, even in even in like the, those early jobs I have, um, you know, if I felt like I was getting busy work, I would just be, eh, I don't you know, kind of cruise on that. But I was always curious, like, where is the action? And so I would be picking my head up, I'd be reading a lot, I'd be paying attention to like other areas of the business. I wasn't particularly good at sort of like minding my business or staying in my own lane. I just was, I was just curious, I wanted to learn. And so I think that's like, what really helps me go explore a lot of different areas. It wasn't one particular thing that I wanted to be good at. It's like, I wanted to understand every aspect of the business. I wanted to understand how the code worked. I wonder how customer support worked. I wanted to understand how accounting worked. I want to understand all of it. To me, it was like that beautiful, it's that puzzle that, that really is exciting. And, you know, getting to see the whole picture come to bear is the, the fun part versus, you know, optimizing this little corner of the globe. I love it. So in terms of those early jobs and then in terms of starting Zapier, was your last job prior to starting Zapier with working for an email marketing company? I, I, I recall 
I'm a big email marketer uh, with my bill of that. And I I need to pick your brain on this. But anyway, we'll (laughs) we'll do that at another time. But what was it that took you? And if that was your your last job, took you from that to actually going out and starting your own business? Yeah. So I yeah, I was I was doing email marketing, marketing automation at a, a mortgage company, Veterans United. And I joined this company. There's two brothers that own this company, 50-50. They were like, they were the best entrepreneurs in central Missouri. And it's like, you want to be a part of their company. And so as I gotten into startups, I was like, okay, I want to go, I want to go work for them just to see like how do they do it? What what makes them tick, et cetera. Uh, and so I ended up taking whatever job I could get there, which was any e- email marketing and marketing automation. And um, along the way, that's where I ended up working with my co-founder, Brian. And so Brian and I we're both musicians. So I play saxophone, he's playing bass and guitar. And so we're at nights and weekends, we're like going out and playing jazz, blues, like wherever we can. But we're also thinking about like side gigs and stuff like that. So we're, you know, doing anything we can make a buck, but we're also pitching each other ideas for businesses we could start. What about this? What about that? And, you know, a lot of them were, didn't go anywhere, like weren't, weren't particularly good ideas. But one idea that Brian pitched me was, you know, he had this idea where he started to notice when you went to all these different software companies like help forums, they would all ask for integrations. They'd say, hey, when are you going to have a Google contacts integration? Or when are you going to have a Salesforce integration? Or when are you going to have a MailChimp integration? And you know, you'd read through the replies and there'd be a bunch of customers saying, yeah, plus one, plus one, I'd love that. Please give me this. And eventually a product manager from the company or, or somebody else would come in and give a very polite reply. It would be, hey, thanks all. We really appreciate the feedback. We love this idea we're going to go take a look and see what we can do. Which if you've ever worked in one of these companies, you know, is code for like, probably not going to happen. So Brian pitched me this idea is like, well, I think we can make it really easy for a non-technical person to mix and match and integrate all these different apps they're using. And at the time, you know, I'm working at email marketing, I'm working with the Marketo API. This Marketo API is this old school WSDL SOAP thing. And again, I'm not a particularly good engineer. So I'm struggling with the authentication bits on this. And I'm like, gosh, if this thing that Brian's pitching me, like if that existed, I'd be using that thing. I wouldn't be doing this that I'm trying to figure out here. And so that's where the initial nugget of the idea came from. And and Brian and I, uh, we took it to this uh, startup weekend with our other co-founder, Mike. We built out the first prototype that weekend and just had a lot of fun working on it together. You know, we didn't know if it was going to be a business or anything at at that point in time. It was just like scratching our own itch, solving a problem, working on something fun. But because we had so much fun that weekend, we were like, hey, let's let's keep working on it. Let's see if we can get some people using it. Maybe we can get some customers. Maybe it could be a business. And so we decided to take a crack at it. And, you know, us being in central Missouri, there's not a lot of funding for stuff like this. And Exposed to these, you know, Veterans United, which was the two brothers running this thing, Bootstrap. So we're like predisposed to running a software company like a normal business. And so, of course, we don't have funding. So we're like, well, we'll do it nights and weekends. And so we just start working Zapier nights and weekends, figuring out like, hey, can we make this thing work? Well, that's awesome. And I'm glad you were uh, building it in Missouri and not in Silicon Valley because you probably would have given up so much of the company already, which you haven't now. You guys are a $5 billion valuation from what I last heard. You didn't tell me it's probably more now, but, but, but I want to go back to, you just talked about it. You were starting this up. You were having fun. What was the point where the three of you said, 
okay, this is a business. And at that point, did you think to yourself, let's just keep doing what we're doing and keep building and get one customer? Or were you thinking, oh, you know what? We do need to raise money. Yeah, we got our first customer, I think like two months in. And I remember thinking at the time, comparing and contrasting how easy it was to get that customer versus how hard it was at that software startup I was working at two years ago. I was like, that was a grind. I worked on that for two years and couldn't get anyone to bite on that thing. This thing, the first person I talked to, bit, hook, line, and sinker, and was like, I want this thing. And then I remember showing him the beta version of the, the alpha, really, of the software. And you know, gave him a sign-up link and showed him it. And it was, he couldn't use it. And it wasn't his fault. Like The software was just bad right. uh, at the time. And he was like, hey, Wade, could you maybe get on Skype and you know show me how to do it with Skype at the time? And so I jump on Skype and I start to walk him through a screen share. And step by step, we go through the setup flow for this app. And every, every way, you know, I'm smiling and trying to be personal. But in the back of my head, I'm going like, this is so bad. This is so bad. <laughs> this is so bad. Um, uh, but we get to the end and we say, okay, let's test your app out. And so, you know, he was setting up a, he had a WooFoo form that was a contact form on his website and he had a little checkbox. If you checked it, it would add him to the email newsletter. And so the email newsletter service was Aweber. So we remember going to his WooFoo form, filled out a name, we submit it. I said, okay, let's go over to Aweber. Let's just check to see, to see if the contact information's in there. Sure enough, you know, comes through contact information's in there. And he goes, wait, this is so awesome. I love this. I can't believe you made this. And I heard in the back of my head thinking, that was such a horrible setup experience. And if your reaction is to be in love with this thing, just imagine if we actually made it good. Like what if it wasn't horrible? And so that to me was the first nugget to say, this isn't just like some pie in the sky idea. Like I think this could work. And, you know, I think it was not too soon after that, I worked it out with my wife to go full-time on Zapier. And then Brian and Mike followed suit, you know, three or four months later. But the real kicker was when we applied to, to YC, Y Combinator. And we'd gotten rejected the first time, but the second time around, we'd made a lot of progress. We had about 10,000 people on a waiting list. 1,000 people had paid for access to a beta. And, you know, YC had saw that traction was, you know, felt, yeah, okay, that these are determined enough founders that maybe we should give them a chance on them. And so when we got accepted there, that was, that was like our first exposure to Silicon Valley and how to grow tech companies in like a different modality than maybe we were exposed to. And, um, Oh, just it, it leveled up our ambitions for what we thought this thing could be. Yeah, that, that's awesome. We actually had the founders of of uh, Y Combinator on. I usually don't enter, but but they built such a great business and seem like really caring VCs who really wanted to make a difference. And just that the whole program they have with all of those different companies and how hard it is to get in it must have made you guys feel like, hey, if they're believing in this, then we are on the right track. I mean, it definitely, it's definitely great to see like well-established people say, we like this stuff. And, you know, we think it's worth doing. Um, but I think also, you know, it was, it was interesting because all along that path, we'd also had people tell us like, ah, this is no good. This will never amount to anything. I remember early on, there was some, I don't even remember their name. There was some VC in New York that sent us a note that was like, hey, cool idea, but you're in central Missouri. It'll never work. And I was just thinking like, 
I would be writing that dude's name down and <laughs> sending him a letter right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just like one of those things where it was like, I mean, okay, thanks. Like we didn't ask your opinion, but like, right. You know, so we, we'd had enough folks that had doubted us along the way that our North Star was always just, do our customers like what we're doing? If our customers right. like what we're doing, we're in good shape. It's great to get the recognition from industry peers and luminaries and stuff like that. That that all is wonderful. But we didn't start getting that really until much later. It was it, it always for us was like I always just love like the that first customer that I described to you. Th- that to me was always the thing that just got you really excited. It was like that me- like the fact that Zapier existed mattered to him, and that just I don't know. We always just were way more excited about doing that stuff. How great a feeling is that, you know, like you said, you walking through, you knew it, the site wasn't what it is beta. It's not looking right. Like, go back and you just got to tell me, like, how good did that feel when when he told you, like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I mean, I still remember every bit of it. Like, it was a really nice day outside that day. And I remember walking out my outside the front apartment and just doing like a big old fist pump and being like, yes, we've got this. And uh, you're an entrepreneur. So you know what it's like to make your first buck. Like there's nothing like it. Like it just, you know, I think there's a reason people put that first dollar in a, uh, (laughs) and they frame it because it's, it's it's hard to describe until you feel it. But when you feel it, you, it's so like, it's so much more satisfying to earn that singular dollar than it is any paycheck I got before that. There was candidly way more than a singular dollar. But that singular dollar, it's like, I, I did that whole thing, right? It feels good. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like, you know, just for you and and your partners and, and how you've explained it, it was really about helping people and community and, and not driving after dollars and money. And of course, I'm sure you had tons of VCs coming after you More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. In the innovation economy, change is constant, but some things remain the same. Like how Silicon Valley Bank is still the SVB you know and trust, now backed by the strength and stability of First Citizens Bank. Or how SVB continues to be uniquely positioned to deliver specialized lending and financial solutions for companies, founders, and investors. Or that SVB remains fully committed to the innovation economy. Change is constant, but through it all, SVB is still the Silicon Valley bank that can help your runways lead to liftoff. Yes, SVB. Learn more at www.sbb.com vb.com slash success and we're back but when was it when you really felt as if you know you 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 talk about that moment where that, that great experience but when was it when you really felt like hey we have something here and this is needed and this is going to grow if we do this right. You know, it wasn't that much longer after that. Like, honestly, like that first customer, we started to, you know, we started to get our search strategy working. We started to get our partnership strategy working. And, you know, the way it is with, for folks who are familiar, not unfamiliar with search, it's, it's not this like rocket ship thing. Like you don't go viral and take off. It's this like very slow, steady 
growth thing, but it's very durable. It's very sticky if you get it working. And we got it working early on where just month after month, we saw this like steady, consistent growth and we knew how to make it keep growing. And so like it, 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 you know, it wasn't like we woke up overnight and it was like, oh, we've got, you know, hundreds of or thousands of customers. It was just like, you know, last month we had 10 customers. Now we've got 50. Last month we had 50 customers. Now we've got 80. And just sort of like, was this just very consistent stair step where it was like, this is working. Like we know how to make this work, which was just very different than I think a lot of people think of it as, is like, you know, overnight success or this grand aha moment. It was just, you get one customer and you turn it into two, 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 you turn it into four. And then you pay attention to like what those folks like and what they don't, and importantly, what they don't like and the stuff they don't like, you go fix it. And so the next batch of customers doesn't run into that same set of problems. They have a different set of problems and you listen to what they don't like and then you go fix that. And then you just keep rinse, washing, repeating. And so I think it was pretty early on where it was just like, I think if we just, I think we just got to show up every day and put in the effort. And if we put in the effort, this thing's going to work, which is different compared to like, you know, that very first startup I was telling you about, like I came in and put in a lot of effort, but it just wasn't going to work at the end of the day. Yeah, that's hard. That's frustrating and trying to figure that out. But it sounds like in this situation, you could see it. And I love the idea that you talked about of just continually making it better and building a business in a way where it went from 10 to 50 customers to a You knew you were doing the right thing. And be, before we go too much further, tell me and talk to a lot of our listeners or entrepreneurs, all different areas. I want you to tell me exactly about Zapier and what it is, what it does, and why it's taken off. Yeah. So Zapier is an automation platform that helps you automate work across any of the apps you use. It started as a simple integration tool where you could say, if this certain thing happens in one application, I want you to do this other thing in another. So, you know, I mentioned the email marketing stuff, right? So if someone fills out this form on your website, maybe it's powered by Wufoo or Typeform or a Google form or a HubSpot form or an Airtable form, doesn't matter what, someone fills out this form, then I want you to add it to my CRM, like Salesforce or HubSpot or, you know, Insightly or Pipedrive, or it doesn't really matter again what it is, but you can just set these things up, you know, single trigger, single action, do that. Now, over time, what we've done is made those workflows more sophisticated. So it used to be just single trigger, single action. Now you can have a whole host of actions associated with it. So you could do this end-to-end workflow to automate really complex, mission-critical business tasks that you might be doing. And the magic of it is that this sounds like technical. It used to be quite technical. You used to have to know how to code. You used to have to know APIs. You have to have all this stuff to make this work. But what makes Zapier special is that it's, it looks like any other website software that you might use. And so if you're not technical, you can come in and set up these integrations, make these things work, build this soft, what feels like software, and you can do it in you know, an afternoon. You can do it in a day or a week or whatever. Like It's not that hard to get these things going uh, as long as you're just thinking through in systems. If you're just saying like, hey, I, oh, I really like to get all these things from my website leads, I like to get them into Airtable. And you know what? Maybe I should lead score them first. So I'm going to run them through ClearBoot and I'm going to like make sure to enrich these leads and I'm going to score them in this way. And then I'm going to dump it in Airtable. So as long as you're thinking through things and systems, like you can set this stuff up in Zapier really, really quick. Yeah, that's awesome. And especially when I think about guys like myself who have no clue and can barely 
bug in their microphone here. It makes life and just in general business so much easier. So thank you for that. And, you know, I want to talk to you. It seems like you also, in terms of the business and AI, you know, we, most of us in the general public have have really only heard about AI in in the past year, let's say, and it's really just come on and there's been waves of it. But this time it seems like it's like, this is it. It's, It's really taken over. I know you were one of the first integrations with ChatGPT. It seems like you knew what AI was going to become. How did you? Uh, candidly, this is just like paying attention to our customers. That's one of the fun things about working on a product that scales. They teach us where things are going to go. And if we're paying attention, like we'll spot it. So, you know, in this case, my, my co-founders, Brian and Mike, Mike in particular, was paying attention to, you know, what was going on with GPT-2 and then what was going on with GPT-3 and then 3.5. And then, you know, by the time ChatGPT launched, we, they, they had actually built like an internal prototype of like an SMS, like AI chatbot that looked not too dissimilar from ChatGPT. And so we just sort of were like, this stuff is really quite cool. It interacts with you. It play, plays back and forth with you. It's kind of magical. Uh, and so we then, uh, one of the first things we did was open add OpenAI, like GPT-3, 3.5 as a step inside of Zapier. And so we had customers that were coming in and using that as part of their workflows is working using those apps. And then we started to see the growth there and see things take off. And we said, you know what? What other capabilities might be really, might this like be possible now? Like there's a whole bunch of stuff that I think people wish would happen, but it sounded like sci-fi stuff, candidly. But with these language models, all of a sudden you go back and look at that laundry list of stuff that you were like, ah, that's that's sci-fi stuff. And you start to go, you know what? Actually, that might be possible now. So you're just paying attention to those capabilities and you're saying, you know what? I think we could, can we add that into this, to the platform? Can we make it so that our in customer base who isn't technical, who maybe doesn't know how to use these underlying APIs, doesn't know how to access these underlying LLMs. Can we give that, make that accessible to them in a way that they could just make it part of their workflows? I remember one of the coolest ones. I remember one of the first ones that stood out in my mind was we had this gentleman who, was, who lives in the UK who had a, he works with a contractor. And this contractor had a, a small business that was it was going okay. Guy was a phenomenal contractor, really good at his job, tackled things on time, the quality was really high, etc. But he had this Achilles heel, and that was that his written communication was at like a first or second grade level. You know, severe dyslexia, poor grammar, poor punctuation, just abysmal. And so if you tried to communicate with him, you're like, like it just looked unprofessional. You're like, I just don't know that I can communicate with this person. And so this person was like, you know what? I think I can make something that makes this guy's life easier. And so he set up a really simple zap where, you know, he went to his contract and said, hey, I want you to email this email address what you want to tell your client. And then what the zap would do is it would feed that email content through OpenAPI and it would use a simple prompt that was like, hey, can you take this message and can you replace this with something that was written in a business style, in a professional way, et cetera, right? You know how prompting works at this point in time. And then I want you to spit the result back and email it back to the contractor so he knows what he should actually send to the client. And so here, this guy who is a good contractor, has a solid business, but is really struggling. They just took his entire Achilles heel and just got rid of it. It was like, now when you talk to him, you wouldn't tell the difference. It would just be like, I'm just talking to a, like, 
you know, someone I interact with a hundred times during a, a business hour. And it was just so cool to see something go from like a like enormous pain point to just totally solved overnight. Um, that was like the first example that stuck with me in my head where I was like, this stuff is going to change every industry. That's so awesome to hear because as an entrepreneur myself and a hustler and grinder, and, and that's what I love about you and your partner's story because how you built it and really limited the VC. But like a story like that, where this person was really good at what they did and this one issue, like it's the first time I've actually really heard where I look at AI and I was like, wow, you know what? That just changed probably this man's entire life business because without being able to communicate or be able to do something along those lines, no one would ever think this guy is a good contractor, even though he could be the best. So for you to be able to help him in that way, it's got to feel good. Yeah. I mean, it's the, like, it's the stuff where it's like, look, we played a tiny, tiny, tiny role, but for him, it was the last, it was the last missing puzzle piece. And it's like, you can put that together. And now he's, his potential is now uncapped. Like he can go do what he needs to go do. Um, and that those are the things where it's like, like, a like any entrepreneur, like whenever you're building stuff, you want to just know that like you're, you can have that type of impact on your customers' lives. Yeah. So where do you see Zapier now, uh, in terms of the, the, the next couple of years and with your growth and where you really want to take the business? Do you have a, a roadmap out that far? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that we're really paying a, a lot of attention to. And a lot of it comes down to easy use. I think coming back to the emergence of these LLMs, these the AI large language models have taken a lot of things that we've looked at at the past and said, oh, this is too hard. We can't figure it out. And we're going back and looking and saying, you know what? I think we can solve that problem now. And so, for example, if you come and sign up for Zapier today, you, there's actually a chat bot at the top that will say, hey, what do you want to autom automate? Or like, what types of things do you do? Because one of the challenges with that, that folks have is that they might automate one thing or two things, but they'll always go, you know what? I feel like I could do more. Like, I always mm -hmm. feel like I could be automating more things in my life and really like technology to take more off my plate. But I'm not always sure where to start. Turns out these large language models, really good at brainstorming and suggesting ideas to it. And so you can start to talk to it and we'll say, hey, I, you know, I'd like to do that. Next thing that's challenging with Zapier, it's like, okay, it's pretty easy to use this stuff, but there's a lot of configuration that I got to go through. I got to think through like, okay, how's this go to this, to this, to this? Well, what if the, the language model could just configure all this stuff for me? And so it's like, okay, I want to use this app. Can you set it up for me? Sure, I'll, I'll set it up. So for us, a big opportunity is looking for all these areas where there's been friction in setting this stuff up. And sometimes that friction is so high that people just give up and say, you know what, I don't think, I, I don't think it's worth the hassle. I think we can continue to reduce that friction to, to where more and more folks are able to have that experience like this contractor did, where it's like, okay, I can now actually find a use case that matters to me, that is an important part of my existence, and it can now fully automate or fully transform how I was doing business. So that's a big part of where we're looking at AI is to figure out how we do that. Second thing we're paying a lot of attention to is, okay, how do you scale with us? How do you keep growing with us? Uh, we have tons of small business owners that we work with and we love working with them. These small business owners, as they start using Zapier, hopefully they're growing. And we want to make sure that as they continue to grow, our platform scales with them. And so there's certain things like how do we handle errors when you're doing large batch runs with Zapier? How do you handle collaboration when you're starting to hire people and you have more people on your team working for you? How do you start to handle 
roles and permissions when you got to deal with people who have should have access to this, but not access to that. And so there's a lot of things that happen as these small businesses start to grow and, and get to be mid, you know, larger and larger companies that we're paying attention to, like making sure that the platform scales with them too, so that they never have to worry about migrating to something else or doing something later on down the line. So those are the big areas that we're spending a lot of time thinking about. Yeah. It sounds like you're, you're really enjoying it. Like you're really enjoying what you're building. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. I, you know, I think certainly the thing that's really reinvigorated is, is AI, a lot of it. Um, you know, it felt like the internet had gotten a little stale there for a little bit. And, uh, these LLMs, like it's kind of like magic. And so there's definitely a new life and a new enjoyment to be had when you're, when you're playing with stuff that you're like, I'm not actually sure what this stuff is capable of let's go figure it out (laughs) yeah it's pretty cool before i let you go i want to ask you one last question as we look at a lot of people who who listen to this podcast they are working in jobs like you were working in prior for companies and doing things and banging their head against the wall thinking it might be them who's the reason this isn't working or doubting themselves they have an idea and what would you say to any of those potential entrepreneurs who are are holding back in terms of of going for it? Yeah, I think for the longest time, yeah, I thought, hey, I starting companies is for other people. Like that's for smart people, that's for geniuses, that's for da 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 da. But I think what I've come to realize is it really is just about starting. Like entrepreneurship isn't about genius. Eh, sure, you need an you need an insight, you need observations, you need to have some uniqueness to how you go about it. Um, but you learn so much more by just rolling your sleeves up and just drop. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine, No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.